So imagine with me for a moment, you are sitting in your favorite restaurant with your favorite group of people, family, friends, whatever, and as you're sitting there eating, someone suddenly in this crowded restaurant, somebody bursts through the door, stands on a chair, and announces in the middle of the restaurant, listen up everybody, I got some amazing good news, you got to hear this, you got to see this, come outside with me, something is happening. You've got to experience this. And then he waves with his hand, jumps off the chair, and bursts back out the door. Now, what does he mean? What is he talking about? Well, maybe for the first time in 108 years, 108 years, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And they're all outside, and they're signing autographs. And you're invited to come. Or maybe the mayor of Chicago has decided to refund all the parking tickets Chicago has taken over the last two years. Millions of $100 bills are floating in the air for you to grab. Well, you're not sure exactly what he's talking about, but you know at least two things. First of all, he's not giving you advice. He's declaring news. Something has happened. Something is happening. It's still going on. He's declaring good news. And secondly, you're invited to experience that news. So you can either sit and continue to eat and ignore it, or you can go outside and check it out, enter into it, experience it. Now, I mention this story to you because a lot of people that have, are not real familiar with Christianity, maybe have a caricature of Christianity, or maybe they've been at church for a long time, or maybe they just had a really bad experience at church or with Christianity, think that the essence of Christianity is a lot of good advice. Sometimes very controlling, sometimes manipulative advice. But the advice goes something like this. If you do A, then B will happen. If you do these four things, your life will be so much better. If you avoid these five things, if you try the harder in these six areas of your life, if you just try to get it together, you will have a better life. That's Christianity. Now, you can't deny that the Bible does say a lot of times, if you do A, you get B, do, avoid these six things, do these ten things. I mean, we have the Ten Commandments. They haven't been repealed. So there is some of that. But the essence, the central claim of Christianity is simply this. Jesus offers the best news in the world, and you can experience it today and forever. That is the essence of the gospel. We've called this sermon series right after Easter, Spiritual Beginnings. Another way to say that is you can begin again in your life with Jesus Christ. You can have a fresh start. Maybe you've been away from God for a long time. Maybe you've never known Christ. Maybe you're just a Christian. You just need renewal in your faith. You can have a new beginning. That's the essence of the Christian faith. And that's really the essence of this passage that you read in the Gospel of Acts. And uh, I'd like to invite you to turn there at this time because we're going to be walking through this and look at what is the second sermon ever given in the history of the church. Sermon number one happened in Acts chapter two. This is sermon number two. So you're getting a pretty fresh perspective on what Christianity is all about. And you're also getting a very concise and powerful summary of what this good news is 
that is so amazing that Jesus offers and how to respond to it. But let me just back up a little bit because the story actually begins in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, which is not in your bulletin. And there's a story of a man who has been uh, disabled from birth and he's begging. And two of the disciples of Jesus who have seen Jesus rise from the dead, they come to this man. One of them is Peter. They come to this man and they say, look, we don't have any money. We're not rich men. I don't have gold. I don't have silver. But what I do have, I give to you. And then he looks at the man and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I tell you, rise up and walk. And the guy starts walking and leaping and praising God. And this attracts a crowd because this guy has been disabled for his whole life. People have seen him every day begging. And now all of a sudden he's walking around. It's like, what in the world? And that's when Peter uses this opportunity to give this spontaneous sermon about the essence of the Christian faith and the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to summarize this sermon for you in four words. Okay, four simple words. And pay attention because there will be a quiz at the end of this sermon. Okay, so ready? First word. It's going to be really hard to remember, but I think you people can do it. First word, wow. Second word, uh uh-oh. Third word, yes, like this, yes. And the fourth word is, ah, with three H's, okay? (laughs) And the wow you have to say with your face. So you go, wow. Your eyes got to go open. Wow, okay? So you ready to do that now? Okay? You're going to do it with me and you'll do much better on the quiz, okay? First word, wow, okay? Second word, uh uh-oh. Third word, yes. And not enough people did this. Let's do it again. Yes. Good, that's better, okay? Fourth word, ah. That was four H's. Let's just keep it to three, okay? Okay, so let's start with wow, okay? Where's the wow? Well, it starts in chapter 3, verse 1, with the man who has disabilities who is healed. He is restored to his health. He is made whole as a human being. He's given back not only his health, his ability to walk, but he's given back his dignity, his ability to work, his ability to make an income, his ability to provide for his family if he has a family. He's given back his wholeness as a man, as a person, as a human being. He is restored. Now, there's a bigger picture to this, though. It starts so restoration, this this wow starts really small and personal. But there's a bigger picture. And and let me read it to you in in the text here, in this little sermon that Peter gave. He says, let me start in verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, that phrase, the restoring of all things, is a really fascinating, it's actually one, it's actually a Greek word that is literally translated the restoration of all things. It's a noun. It's a thing. It's a coming event. Like, think of something you have on your calendar this week that is going to happen. I'm going to this meeting. I'm going to this baseball game. I'm going to watch this TV show. This event is going to happen. So the restoration of all things is something that is going to happen. What is it? 
Well, restoration, the actual Greek word that's used in the New Testament, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the Greek word only appears, the noun form only appears once in the New Testament, right here, Acts chapter 3. For you Bible geeks, that's kind of interesting. But the verb appears eight times. And the verb restore means to, like, restore something that's broken. So at one point it's used of like a limb, like a broken arm that's restored back to its health. And now you have full functioning of that arm again. So what would the restoration of all things be? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But there's other times where this word is used, a similar word is used. Jesus, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew talked about the restoration of all things. Same phrase. It's actually a different Greek word, which means Genesis again. Second Genesis. There's going to be another Genesis, Jesus promised. Only this one's going to be better. The book of Revelation, if you're familiar with that, talks about the new heavens and the new earth and how God will be among his people. He will wipe all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. It's a picture of the restoration of all things. So I just want to say this is a biblical theme. It doesn't appear a lot, but it's not the only time this happens. The restoration of all things. Let me give you a really concrete picture of it. So somebody gave me this table. She said she got it at an estate sale, and she gave it to me, a friend at work. And um, she said, yeah, it's, it's kind of ugly, it's kind of beat up. But she said, you can do something, you can restore it. So that would mean, apparently, I've never done that before, but I know people who have, and they tell me that you strip it and you restain it. And I was giving this illustration in the first sermon, and somebody who actually restores furniture said, well... You've actually got that illustration a little wrong, which I love it when people do that. So I really do. She said, when you restore something, you don't just lay a surface coat on it. You fix it up. So it's like not only as good as new, it's better than new. You replace the legs if necessary. You refasten it. You basically rebuild the whole thing. So it looks beautiful. It's not just refinished. It's restored. Now, what would it look like the restoration of all things, everything, everything that's broken in our world, everything that we look at and go, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be. What would that mean? Well, no more cancer, no more funerals, no more human trafficking, no more divorce, no more depression or any form of mental illness, no more racism, no more hunger, no more mourning or tears. What an amazing promise. Wow. The restoration of all things. Now, as followers of Christ, we don't just look forward and ache and long for that day. Because only Jesus can ultimately bring it in. But the church is called, called to actually be a sign of that final restoration right now. So Christians are people who pray, as Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just in heaven, but on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're not going to bring in the kingdom. We're not going to perfect it. Only Jesus can. But we are called to be a sign of that. So that's why throughout Christian history, Christians have done things like Adopt orphans. Uh, loved people that nobody else wanted. Lived among lepers. Not just dropped food basket to lepers, but lived among them. Sometimes even becoming lepers by living with lepers. 
That's why Christians have opposed slavery. We don't have a perfect record about that, but did you know St. Patrick, one of the things he did, one of St. Patrick's Day that we should celebrate, is Patrick wrote this uh, heated letter to a bishop who was allowing slavery, was opposing slavery. Christians have a history of opposing slavery. And, and Christians have a history of just loving and seeking to redeem people that nobody else believes in anymore. Why? Because we believe in the restoration of all things. So the promise is not that everything's going to get fixed in this life. The promise that is that Christ will bring about the restoration of all things. All things will work together to good for those who love him. All our longing for beauty and justice and intimacy will one day be fulfilled will be healed. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the wow. So what is our second word? Uh Uh-oh. Now when you say uh uh-oh, don't say it like you just dropped some milk. Say it like you just totaled your father's brand new car. Uh Uh-oh. Oh boy. This is the bad news within the good news, but it's part of the gospel is that our rebellion against God has caused a rupture, not only between us and God, not only within our own souls, not only in relationships with people, but all the way throughout creation. There's ripple effects. That rebellion has caused a deep rupture. Again, it doesn't just start out there. It starts with me in my heart. Notice, for instance, in verses 13 to 15, there's these amazing titles for Jesus that Peter uses right from the very beginning of the Christian faith, right after the resurrection, it didn't take like hardly any time at all for the early church to agree with Jesus that he was God in human flesh. So look at these titles. For instance, in verse, in verse 13, he's called the servant of God. But in verse 14, he's called the holy and righteous one. Now who gets that title in the Bible? God. Verse 15, he's called the author of life. This is what theologians call a high Christology. It's a really high view of Jesus. He's God. He's the author of life. So what did we do with this person who shows up, this author of life? Did we treat him like royalty? No, we killed him. And that's what Peter says in this sermon. He says in verse 14, You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. So the Jewish people... This really great religion that abhors the shedding of innocent blood. The Roman government, a really great, efficient, effective government. They band together and they agree that they got to get rid of this guy in the most cruel means possible by execution. So they execute him. They crucify him. Now, it doesn't get any worse than that. They threw Jesus under the bus, literally, and watched him get run over. Now, we would say, we might say, Oh, man, that's horrible. How intolerant, how bad. I, I, if I was there, I would have done better. And here's what the, gospel, the Bible says. No, you wouldn't have, and I wouldn't have. Because there's something bent in the human heart. There's something bent within us towards sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Another Bible verse says, The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? You know, um, before he took his own life, Robin Williams, great comedian, had a TV interview, and he he actually had a really brilliant insight about the nature of human sin. 
as many of you know, he struggled with drug and alcohol addiction off and on for his life, and sometimes had years of sobriety and then would fall back into it. But in this interview, he said, he talked about his addiction, and here's how he describes it. He says, it waits. It lays and waits for the time you think, it's fine now, I'm okay. Then the next thing you know, it's not okay. Then you realize, where am I? I didn't realize I was in Cleveland, is what William said. You know, I think to be a Christian, every Christian should be able to say, I can totally relate to Robin Williams. I may not have a drug and alcohol addiction, but I can totally relate to that. He is describing my heart. He is describing my heart when apart from Christ, it's like I may not struggle with drug addiction, but I struggle with, you know, we struggle with greed, we struggle with lust, we struggle with hatred, we struggle with prejudice, we struggle with passivity, we struggle with pettiness, and then we go, all of a sudden it's okay, and then it's, I'm not okay. And how did I get here? How did I get here again? That's the uh uh-oh of the Christian life. But there's good news even in that, that we'll get to in a few minutes, but let me just give you a, 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 a prequel to that. Verse 19 says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That's the good news of the gospel. See, the cross was part of God's plan. It was part of God's plan, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to die for our sins, to to take within his very life the penalty and the curse of our sin and to diffuse it. That was part of God's plan. We'll get to that in a few minutes. The third word, yes. And what is the yes? The yes in this passage and the yes in the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection authenticates, it confirms, it validates and guarantees that Jesus is who he said he is and everything he said is true and he can deliver on every promise he made. So notice verse 15. As Peter preaches this sermon, he he says, um, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 16, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And then verse 26, God having raised up his sermon. So he refers to the resurrection in the New Testament. It is always the resurrection that validates who Jesus is, who he said he was, is true. And it, it makes perfect sense logically because if Jesus is still dead, he can't forgive your sins. So he said he could forgive your sins, but if he's dead, he doesn't have the power to do that. Jesus said, I'm in the resurrection and the life. Trust in me when you die, before you die, and I'll give you eternal life. Well, if he's still lying in a tomb, rotting in the grave somewhere, he can't give you eternal life. He can't even get himself eternal life. So everything hinges on the resurrection. That is God's massive yes. It's like we were all trapped in this massive, behind this massive door, and Jesus burst through it not just for himself, but for us. And he points to us and he says, come on, follow me. Trust in me. Believe in me. You too can have eternal life. That's God's yes. Finally, there's the ah. Verses 19 and 20. Let me read this to you again. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The word blotted out, by the way, is a really interesting picture because in the ancient world they would write 
with their ink on papyrus, which was a kind of writing material, and it didn't bite into the papyrus like ink bites into paper. So you could just take a damp cloth and you could wipe it away. So that's the figure, that's the picture here, that our sins can be blotted away. And that when that happens, it says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I love that phrase, times of refreshing. You know, when I first read this passage, I immediately thought of, um, and this is going to date me a little bit, so I immediately thought of this series, this brilliant marketing campaign from the 70s and 80s, which I talked to people in my age demographic who all remembered this commercial and all love this commercial. It's a commercial of people working out in the hot sun. Somebody's like laying hot tar. Somebody else is playing tennis. And they're, it's like 105 degrees and they're all dripping with sweat. And then somebody hands them a glass of iced tea with big ice cubes in it. And what's the name of the tea? Nest tea. And what do they do? They take the Nest Tea Plunge. So as they're drinking that glass of iced tea, they fall backwards into this pool of clean, refreshing water, and they say, ah, and they fall backwards into the water. That is times of refreshing, my friends. Nothing more refreshing. And I, I, so I think of what, spiritually speaking, what does Jesus offer? He offers an ah. He lets us say ah and fall into his arms of grace and mercy. Notice this isn't just a vague spirituality. It's all, it's not just trying harder. It's not just, oh, if you do this advice, you'll get this. Again, I said that's in the Bible, but that isn't the central message. Notice verse 16. He talks about how did this, this man with disabilities... Whoa. How did he get restored? Now we got our sound restored. There we go. So how did he get restored? Well, it says here in verse 16, it says, And his name, talking about Jesus, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's in Jesus, and it's the faith that is through Jesus. That is the essence of these times of refreshing. So, let me just ask you this morning. Christians are people of the ah, the big ah. People, Christians are people who fall into the refreshing waters of Jesus Christ faith in him and through him. Where do you need times of refreshing in your life this morning? Where do you need these times to refresh yourself? You know, last Sunday, I don't know if you were here for Easter Sunday, but if you were here, we had a really powerful story from a young woman named Claire who talked about not growing up in the church at all and coming to Res after her husband died tragically in a car accident, and coming to Res and having a lot of doubts and a lot of questions about God and life and the meaning of life and 
And then eventually questions about Christianity and what is that all about and lots of questions. And through a process of seeking, through a process of searching, through a process of talking to people, through a process of going to our Alpha course, she came to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior. She came to that sense of ah and surrender. But maybe, and maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you've just been away from God for a long time. And your faith is just really old and really stale and really dry, really hot and sweaty and muggy and suffocating. And you just need a spiritual renewal. Or maybe, like a lot of people here, you've been following Jesus for a long time. But if you're like me, when do you need a spiritual? How often do you need spiritual beginnings? Now, I don't become a Christian over and over again. I don't get saved over and over again. I don't get baptized over and over again. But I need the presence of Jesus over and over again. I need it every day when I wake up. I need it every night when I go to bed. I need it every noon in the middle of my day. I need to cry out and say, Jesus, I need to have faith in you and through you. I can't do this by myself. I can't be justified before God the Father by myself. I can't live the Christian life by myself. I constantly need to say, ah, and to fall into your arms of mercy. Jordan, as we celebrate the Eucharist, there'll be prayer ministers on the side, and I really encourage you today, if, if you need a spiritual beginning in any shape or form, go to somebody and just say, I need a spiritual beginning. I need to fall into the arms of Christ and trust him afresh. So I said there's going to be a quiz. Okay, you ready? Word number one, wow. Did you say it with your eyes? Wow. Word number two, uh-oh. Word number three, and word number four, may you have an ah some week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Kevin asked me to just say a special prayer for anyone here, which could be, and should, maybe should be, everyone needs a spiritual beginning in Christ. And so let me just say a short prayer of uh, blessing over you for any, any sense that describes your life right now. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for people who are never begun a spiritual, never begun with Christ at all. Um, they're here, maybe interested, maybe curious, maybe got dragged here by somebody, but they're here this morning. And... Um, Father, I just pray that you would open their heart. And if that describes you in any way, uh, um, I just pray that you'd pray after me just a very simple prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, I need, a, I need a new beginning. I want to repent of my sin. I want to turn from it. And I want to turn to you, to faith in you and through you. Give me a new beginning in you. And if, if any way your faith has just gotten stale, cold, dry, hard. Just pray as well. Lord Jesus, give me a spiritual beginning in and through Christ. Make my faith fresh again, alive again. Let me let go of the struggles, the sins that I'm holding on to, and let me fall into your arms of grace and mercy. In your name, amen.